You're listening to Investigation Insiders by Integris Intelligence. Hello again, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Investigation Insiders. Hope you're all doing well and staying safe. This is Farhad. Um, We have another great show for you today. Uh, My co-host today is uh, my right-hand woman, Joe Morrow. Good to have you again, Joe. How are you? I'm well, I'm well. As always, I'm happy to be here. Awesome. Well, we're both really excited about today's episode. Um, Joining us is a very, very special guest, Geraldine Hart. How are you, Jerry? I'm great. Thank you. And uh, it's great to be with you. Yeah, well, um, we've been talking about this for a little while, so I'm glad we uh, got it off the ground. I think much of our audience uh, knows who you are and your background, but... For those that do not know, um, Jerry is a retired supervisory special agent from the FBI's Long Island office. She left there and became the police commissioner uh, of Suffolk County here in New York and is now the director of public safety at Hofstra University. Um, And she's also an attorney, uh, a product of uh, a local, you know, St. John's University. So... I kept it brief, Jerry. Uh, anything I miss or you want to add? No. At the end, I was the um, supervisory um, resident agent at um, the Long Island office, which is a little bit different, but not a big deal. Okay. Okay. Um, well, uh, I'm glad you clarified that. The um, So having been um, in the private sector for a long time, uh, we get a lot of inquiries from folks looking to retire and find a second career. Um, and a lot of people have done it very, very successfully. Uh, some have not. Most people are somewhere in between where, you know, it depends on what day of the week you ask them. Um, so we thought it would make sense to have Jerry talk about the transition as she has done it sort of pretty successfully, not sort of, but really successfully transitioning uh, federal government to local government and now the the private sector. So, Joe, I'm going to pass it over to you uh, to take it from here. All right, that sounds good. So I just want to get into some little getting to know you questions here, if you don't mind. Sure. Uh, First will be, uh, where where did you grow up and then how did you become an FBI agent? Yeah, so I grew up in Northport uh, in Suffolk County on Long Island. And uh, actually, my story of becoming an FBI agent began uh, on a fifth grade field trip uh, when we took a, a class trip down to uh, Quantico and, uh, and headquarters in Washington. And it was after that that I was just hooked. Um, I just thought it was the coolest thing, you know, going through. And at the time, they had the lab open that you could walk through um, and see what they're doing as far as ballistics and, uh, and different techniques that they're using. And then of course it capped off with, uh, with the firearms demonstration, um, utilizing the Tommy gun. Uh, so I just thought all that was really something that was really interesting to me. So I always say it was, you know, kind of that moment that I was hooked and I kind of took all the steps in my career to move towards that goal, including uh, law school, because, um, that was a, uh, a profession that they had, um, you know, opened up for agents and, um, encouraged. So that was kind of my journey. Oh, that sounds good. I do like the lab too. It's always fun when you get to visit that area and see how the training is, is done. Can you tell us about some things that stick in your mind as highlights about your time with the Bureau? 
Yeah, so uh, I was fortunate uh, to work all criminal uh, in the criminal division my whole career, which is what I wanted. So, um, you know, just really uh, starting off with um, white collar, which uh, was not my first choice, but it really turned out to be really quite interesting uh, and was able to work a homicide case um, off the bat, which uh, which allowed me to work with uh, local homicide detectives and really just get a flavor um, you know, of that and, and learn so much from different investigators and different detectives. And then just moving into the organized crime arena. So I spent the, the bulk of my career uh, working Lucchese organized crime. Um, and there I, I again was, uh, was able to work cold case homicides, uh, which were one of them was the mafia cop investigation, which is, uh, which is pretty uh, well known where two New York city detectives were committing homicides on behalf of the uh, Lucchese crime family. So just to work that, um, and bring that to a close. It was uh, it was out there and lingering for some time, uh, and just really to kind of have the closure for the families was was very meaningful for me. And then uh, moving into management in the FBI, which is something I really uh, didn't intend on doing. I was very happy being an agent and, and working cases, and then uh, you know to kind of be approached and, and asked if I wanted to um, join management, to which I initially had said no, um, and I was very happy doing what I'm doing and. And I didn't feel, feel I was qualified, and I think that happens a lot with um, with women in uh, throughout different careers, but especially in law enforcement. So, just to kind of leave my comfort zone, to be encouraged to take this position uh, in management um, was great. And I went into the city, and I led the uh, Genovese Organized Crime Squad, which eventually uh, was consolidated with Colombo and Bonanno as well. So uh, that was a kind of a new a new avenue for me that I didn't anticipate, but I'm glad I took it and it was, it was terrific for me. And then just went out to Long Island to the uh, Long Island resident agency and, and led that uh, through some, you know, pretty difficult public corruption cases and uh, MS-13, of course, which was uh, really very prevalent on Long Island at the time. Well, I'm glad you took the supervisory role. That's where I got to meet you working on the same squad with the, the Genovese, Bonanno and Colombo family. That was a, that was a good time in my life. I uh, had some good memories on that squad. Yeah. Um, you spent almost 22 years with the Bureau. How did you know it was time for you to transition? Yeah, so it's uh, it's interesting. I, I was very happy again where I was. Um, so I always joke, you know, I'm happy where I am, so it's time for change. Uh, but um, as I said, when I was in the Long Island office, I was working really closely with Suffolk County uh, on MS-13 uh, homicides. There was a... Uh, a huge uptick in uh, in murders in Suffolk during that time, 2018, 2017. So working together on that, uh, there was a new police commissioner at the time uh, had, who had taken over. They, uh, actually, my office had uh, done a public corruption case against the, uh, the former chief of department and uh, the district attorney. So there was a new uh, leadership focus over there and, uh, and just really the opportunity to work together with uh, with Suffolk, which I had done previously. I had known a lot of the the people I'd worked with had become uh, chiefs and they were promoted to leadership spots. So I thought this is really kind of a new a new landscape out there and uh, and a great opportunity. So um, so I took it and uh, and it was a great a great decision on my part, I think. I agree, I agree. Well I think you kind of answered it. <laughs> how did you how did the yeah. Suffolk County PC job come about? which I believe you just answered. Did you know you wanted that job right away or were you unsure? Uh, yeah, I wasn't really, uh, you know, again, it took some time to really, uh, you know, kind of think about the new role. It, uh, you know, 
it's a big change from the federal system over to uh, local policing. And um, and again, there were some you know there were some things that happened uh, beforehand, so it was kind of settling down. But there was a you know it was kind of a department that was um, coming off of a uh, a pretty pretty prominent scandal. So you know just thinking about what that would require on my part, um, the team that was in place, uh, the resources. Uh, so yeah, it was a it definitely took some time to make the decision, but um, but again, I'm glad I did. So what, with that transition, what helped you make make that transition better for you, or is there something that you you've, you've learned since then that you could have done better? Yeah, well, it was definitely. I mean, you know, you think about coming from the FBI, which is um, which is so uh, focused on you know just doing the law enforcement cases. There's uh, not a lot of political um, interference, uh, going to a, a county police department, um, as the executive is, is different because you're being appointed by an elected official. You're being confirmed by, by the Suffolk County legislature where, which are all elected officials. Um, and you know, not too many with law enforcement backgrounds. So it was a, uh, definitely a different experience. Um, you know, my, my really kind of focus was on just law enforcement matters and, and that politics are a separate issue. Uh, that's not always the reality, unfortunately, in, uh, in that kind of appointed position. So you really have to get used to the politics of it all. And you know it going in, but, uh, but the reality of it is, is very different. So that was definitely a, a challenge. Um, and looking back, you know, perhaps something that maybe I could have done better. Uh, it definitely worked out. I was, you know, I, I felt that you know, coming into the department, is it going to be more of a challenge being the first woman commissioner or is it going to be more of a challenge coming from the FBI? Uh, and really, you know, I have to say it was uh, it was a smooth transition into the department. The, they really did welcome me. Um, I think it was a kind of a different leadership style that I had, which was much more kind of accessible and open and, uh, you know, right. really wanted to learn things that I didn't perhaps know and being open to those conversations. Uh, so that was, yeah, that was all kind of, kind of new, but challenging. That's great. Do you have any like highlights or good stories about your time as a police commissioner? <laughs> yeah, there are a lot of good stories. Um, <laughs> it was, uh, there's, um, yeah, I, I think, you know, I think we had to get used to each other. I think uh, initially, um, you know, they, they kind of were used to a different type of leadership style that was, uh, you know, I always say I walk past the portraits of the 13 males that preceded me. Um, and in the words of Yogi Berra, the future ain't what it used to be. So, uh, <laughs> so just really to kind of, you know, just really kind of figure each other out. But I think it was it was pretty simple because I think I was very authentic and I and I hope that I was um, really just myself. And I think that comes across uh, in any profession, but particularly when you're working with investigators that they know when somebody is being authentic. Um, and really just, you know, not pretending that you have all the answers, but that uh, you're certainly willing to learn together. And um, and we did some really good work together. And I think, uh, you know, we faced some of the most challenging times in law enforcement in 2020 when we were confronted with a global pandemic and a uh, and social unrest that um, had never been seen to that degree in Suffolk County. Right. I'm sure. Definitely had to, had to give you a good challenge. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So why don't you tell us a little bit more about your transition to your, your current role, the Director of Public Safety at Hofstra. Yeah, so again, you know, uh, 
really kind of enjoying my my place in in Suffolk at the police department and uh, again going through some really difficult times together uh, in policing and and instituting some significant reforms. Uh, I really that was important to me to make sure that that was completed uh, before I looked to a uh, to a change. And once that was done, there's never really kind of a good time to leave, but there's there's a right time to leave. And uh, and for me, it was just you know knowing that that this was the time to transition over. Uh, it was a tough decision though, I, I will say. And uh, and it's always about the people, right? I mean, it's really the people that you work with, and uh, it, it's it's hard to to decide that you're going to leave. Uh, but again, the time was right for me, and this opportunity opened here at Hofstra. Um, they've only had two public safety directors in, uh, in more than 20 years, so uh, it's not a lot of turnover. Um, and the, the position came open, and I thought, you know what, it's close to home. I was commuting from from Western Nassau to Yapank every day, which was quite a quite a trip. And uh, and just my children were, uh, you know, getting older in high school and college age, and just wanted to spend time with them a little more and uh, having a shorter commute and just some opportunities here in the academic world that uh, that I thought were interesting. So it was it was the right time to go, um, and that's that was kind of the decision process that I made. I could definitely understand the commuting uh, being a factor in your decision. I I did the same thing myself. Yeah, it's it's it definitely takes a toll. Yeah, and I just got to say, as a fellow. FBI employee, both female. I've been watching where you've been going, and it's been it's been a big smile on my face to see uh, your your successes. So, um, no, I appreciate that. No, I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. Raha, do you happen to do you have any questions for Jerry on what we discussed? Uh, you know what? All all of that's really uh, just interesting to listening to, to listen to. But you know. Uh, just a side note, my, my son is going to uh, be attending like the FBI's Teen Academy um, uh, this summer. And it, it'd be interesting if he sort of uh, gets the bug like you did, Jerry, in terms of, you know, interest in the FBI. And I guess that's what programs like that are for. Um, the, um, uh, you know, all of that is really interesting and and it's kind of funny i always like the perception when you were an fbi agent of what it would be like post your career and the reality of it how far off do you think it was well i would say that each one was different right so i think the transition from the fbi to the police department um was certainly different than from when i left there and went to hofstra but i think the initial transition over from the from the fbi to that role as commissioner, I think that you have to, uh, you really just have to realize that your your time is not your own anymore. So the idea that you can, you know, schedule things uh, uh, or be home at a certain time, that all goes out the window because they really kind of, um, I don't want to say own you, but you, you, have certain, you have a lot of obligations outside of the office as a representative of that police department that you simply can't control. So I think once, you realize that in your mind and that was a transition for me once you realize that um again i don't own my my time anymore i kind of belong to to the county sure. um then it makes it easier because you realize that you you know you can't control it so and that's really you know all the things that you have to do to be effective you have to you know engage with the community you have to be out there you have to make sure that you're attending um different events uh that you normally wouldn't perhaps attend as an fbi agent um just to represent 
the department and to, you know, make sure that uh, the men and women of the department, you know, have a voice in the community because it's important too that the community understands what the officers are going through, what's going on in the department. So it works both ways, really. Um, so that was a big transition. And then, and then that changes again when you go to the private sector and, and hospitals kind of, I guess, semi-private, but then it's, then the change is that no longer is it strictly, you know, the mission of, of your uh, department of law enforcement, right? So the mission of the FBI is law enforcement. The mission of the police department is, is law enforcement. Now you're at a university where law enforcement is certainly a, a, a high priority and safety, but it is not the sole mission of the university. It's to educate uh, students. Uh, so sure. that's a big change. That is a uh, that took a lot to get used to because you're now kind of a uh, a department of a larger mission um, and not the main mission. So again, that that was a big change, and I, I would imagine that people go through that when they leave um, public service and they go to the private sector. That is a uh, something to get used to. Um, but it's really kind of a mindset, and once you realize that uh, that you're there, you know, to support the larger larger goal, then I think it makes it a little bit easier. Sure, sure. So I guess looking back on your career, right, what are some of the things that you did to put yourself in a position to not only secure new positions, but be successful once you made the transition? I know you've alluded to some of the things, but, you know, like when you were an FBI agent, um, you know, some people talk about just building relationships, putting, you know, always putting out a professional sort of uh, uh, appearance, uh, demeanor, all those kind of things. What are some of the things that you would say you did well and that you tell other people to think about as they're thinking about making transitions? Yeah, and I think those those two items that you mentioned are, are very important because it is all about relationships um, in the end and uh, and just really your ability to uh, to work well uh, alongside people and, and your ability to, uh, to lead people, but, you know, in a, in a, in a way that's perceived to be fair and, um, and just open. And those are really kind of important pieces throughout my whole time, uh, in the FBI, I always worked in, um, task forces. So I was always working together with, uh, with other agencies. Um, I, I never, any success that I've had, I, I will be the first one to say that I never did it alone that it was always part of a, a bigger team that I brought together um, because you can't, you know, and anybody thinks that uh, that they can do that, I think is is on a failed path. So, you know, for me, it was really always about the partnerships. It was always about working together, always just about, you know, being open in those relationships and then always be being open to kind of professional possibilities that you may never have imagined, right? So, you know, you may think that um, that your course is set and that you're doing X, Y, and Z, but always be open to you know something that you've never thought of before, uh, and consider it. And again, I'll go back to the fact that I think that women don't consider those opportunities. And sometimes it's because they feel like they have to have 100% of the qualifications before they'll consider a job. Whereas perhaps men will think that they only need to have half, and then they'll uh, they'll, they'll take that role and they'll learn and they'll do it they'll do it well, but they'll learn kind of on the job. So I always say to women, you know. Be open to it. You might not know. You might not think that you're qualified, but certainly somebody does, or they wouldn't have, uh, you know, reached out to you if that's the case. Um, but you'll, you know, you you'll, you should have the support that you need to do it, and uh, and realize that you can do it. 
yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's just fantastic advice. Um, and, and we're going to, we're going to come back to that topic a little bit later on, but is there anything that you could have done better? You know, it's kind of a double-edged sword because you don't, you know, sometimes I think, did I move too quickly into this new position, but you don't want to overanalyze it either and kind of talk yourself out of it. So yeah. you kind of have to find that balance where, uh, where you're open to change and, and willing to make the change, but you don't want to jump in too quickly without all the information. So, you know, maybe as it pertains to Suffolk, looking back, um, you know, could I have been better versed in the politics out there? Because uh, they are certainly prevalent and you, you may think that you know it, but um, there's just so much going on that's not um, readily apparent, uh, that takes some time to learn. So, that, you know, that's probably something that uh, I could have done better. Um, would it, I don't think it would have stopped me, but I maybe I just would have known more um, about just different alliances that you don't know about. and and different, you know, people really just trying to maybe get at each other through you and, and you don't really realize it. Um, there's a lot of that. So that's that's a challenge. You know, it's interesting because, uh, you, you know, in, in thinking about this discussion, um, truthfully, um, I wasn't thinking about the politics of like, again, when you're with the FBI, you're independent, right? The politics, like you mentioned, and then you yes. just go into Suffolk County and you're not. And that's, you know, for those considering government jobs like the one that you had, I mean, that's got to be a strong component of evaluating whether it's a good position for you or not. You have a, obviously a very good disposition and I think you, you sort of figured your way through it, but I'm sure there are colleagues of yours that you knew that you know that maybe don't have that same disposition that it could have been very difficult for, right? Oh, I think that's true. I think that's absolutely true. I think there's a combination of, you know, thick skin that you have to have um, yeah. to realize that it's really not about you. It's about, you know, some fight that happened years ago that, you know, some people are trying to score points on each other and you, they just happen to be using you and your position to do that. And you also have to be kind of, you know, uh, open to, you know, how to get things done in, in a way that may not be streamlined and, and obvious right so you have a kind of list of things that you want to accomplish but you're yeah. being you're just careening from crisis to crisis within within the police department because and that's a really big difference too that i that i should point out is that in the fbi you really uh, depending on the violation of course but many times you'll have number one you'll have autonomy over your case and number two is you'll have the luxury of um of kind of setting your schedule if you can, depending, of course, if there's non-exigent circumstances. But if you have a long-term organized crime case, you're setting that schedule, you're working together with the prosecutor, you're getting what you need to get done, um, and you have the luxury of, of a little bit of time to do that. It's not like that with reactive policing. And, um, and you know, they're, they're, ha they're having to react immediately. They don't have the luxury of, uh, of stepping back and, and doing long-term investigations. And, um, and there's, there are constantly crisis situations that you're just always putting out the fires you know nobody's coming up to your office to say hey we you know we did a, a seizure of 10 10 keys yesterday isn't that great like they just don't that doesn't rise to your level so it's always right. problems and they're all you're always putting out fires constantly so you have to get used yeah. to that um and you have to be flexible and be able to do that sure no I, look i i think hearing that direct from you um, and, and I appreciate you saying these things because um, sometimes, like, again, you need to hear it, right? Um, and, and hopefully someone listens to this and benefits from what you're saying because it really is because you don't want to retire from a career 
go into something else for a very short period of time and realize, oh yeah, this is not for me. And I should have thought this through a little bit more. So it's really, really good insight. You know, anything else that you would have, any advice that you would have, whether it's again, local, state, federal government, people that are, you know, looking at a second career, whether they're in year one of their public sector career or year 25, any other advice that you would say, here are definitely things that you should be thinking about and here's when you should be thinking about it. Yeah, I think um, I think to understand the culture of the of the institution that you're going to, so you know whatever that might be in the private sector or uh, for me, it's um, obviously academics. Uh, it's totally different than public service, uh, but that's not to say that um, that it's you know worse. It's just that it does take a lot to get used to. Um, but I also think that I think there's a possibility in in some of these roles that that we that we move to. Um, to, the, to change them and to expand them. So uh, there's not kind of that rigidity of like a civil service or a, um, you know, a typical uh, government job. In the private sector, you have a little bit more room to, uh, to do some, you know, kind of innovative uh, ideas, you know. So in, it, here at Hofstra, I'm trying to really kind of expand uh, public safety and make it more, um, obviously more connecting uh, to the students. But also, you know, when I was in the police department and we were doing uh, police reform, there really wasn't a spot that I could go to, to for the research, right? So we, we have all these great ideas, these strategies, we, we're speaking to the community, we're coming up with some some pretty innovative uh, thoughts, but, you know, there really wasn't a place where I could go to and, and really unleash kind of the academic portion on it and say, does this work? You know, what does the data say? Uh, what does the research say? Um, I wound up going to other universities around the country, uh, some on the West Coast, and, and trying to pick their brain. Um, so I thought, you know, here at Hofstra, is there an opportunity for us to kind of form that that type of uh, hub, if you will, for for law enforcement professionals to come to and really, you know, for us to offer the uh, the backing of and like the horsepower, I guess you would say, of academics to help with these kind of strategies and really not, you know, not in a typical way to to step back and evaluate police departments without their you know, without their consent, which is what sometimes happens. This is more of like a partnership. You know, can we help you? Um, implement new strategies? Can we come together and pick the brain of different law enforcement executives here in Long Island that have done things in a very unique way and maybe share those those ideas? So that's kind of something that I'm looking to do. Um, so I guess my advice to your question though would be, don't feel like you're locked in to whatever role you have. If you feel like it's maybe not big enough for you or too constrictive, um, there might be opportunities to expand it or change it. Sure, sure. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. I, I think the wiggle room, in the private sector is definitely something that's, you know, that it's, it's like you're saying a double-edged sword. It, it, there's benefits to it, but there's responsibility as well, right? And so sure. the, the, what you were just talking about is, is kind of an interesting thing. Um, I, I want, if you don't mind, I, I just want to ask you a couple of questions about it. So what you're talking about, the hub that you're, you're talking about, um, you, you're looking at both active and retired sort of personnel that might be able to uh, provide their input to the hub, right? Is, is that what you're talking about? Sure. So, I mean, you think about, um, and you bring up a good point with uh, with retired uh, folks as well. I mean, there's such a wealth of knowledge uh, of ways to handle different challenges, right, that we're faced with. And Long Island in particular has its own unique challenges uh, that are separate, I believe, from kind of urban policing. 
you know, when you think about uh, MS-13, when you think about human trafficking, you think about the opioid epidemic and how it really impacted uh, Long Island in a significant way. You know, what are some of the um, strategies that we utilize? Uh, and can we pull back from, you know, people that have left law enforcement but have faced some of these things and have some great ideas? And how do we bring those people to the table uh, and talk about these these different things? How do we make sure the community is involved in the conversation um, so that, you know, we're we're hearing from them too, di different challenges that they're facing. So I just think there's kind of this void that uh, that perhaps officer can be a huge um, voice in. And I think uh, I think you bring up a good point with uh, retired folks. You know, um, one of the reasons why this came up, and Joe will remember this. We we actually a few episodes ago, we we actually had a chance to sit down with uh, Lou Rice. He was um, retired from the DEA. One one of the questions that I asked him was um, about, you know, because you know this, I mean, when people retire from the Bureau, when they retire from other agencies, it feels like the reach back um, is not, I, and I'm not saying this from my personal experience, I'm just uh, restating what I've heard from others, that the reach back is not fantastic. And yeah. I asked Lou very specifically, like, if you reached out to him, you know, what's his appetite for offering his opinions and expertise based on having previously experienced that. And he said he would absolutely be open to it. And I, I think that's a just a tremendous resource of people. You know, you know, when you're not in the thick of things, sometimes your perspective changes, right? But when you're in the middle of it um, and you're one of those folks that have to deal with it, it's, it's a little bit different, right? Oh, without a doubt. And like I said, you're kind of like moving from crisis to crisis and you're not really having that time to kind of step back um, and yeah. evaluate what, what you went through and what you could have done better or. Um, yeah, absolutely. I agree 100 percent with that. That's that's right. So um, certainly you have our support. So as, as you as you proceed with uh, whatever it is um, that you're going to do with this, please, you know, lean on us for any support that we can offer. I think it's a great initiative. And I, I think that. You know, it's just really forward thinking about getting ahead of problems before um, they occur. Uh, so good luck. Um, no, I appreciate that. And thank you. I'm going to take you up on that because I have to, I'm putting together proposals and then, you know, just starting to, to socialize that. Excellent. All right. Well, Joe, you have any questions or follow up on anything that we just went through? No, I just, I'm just listening and I, I appreciate the proactive approach you have on trying to just improve the situation and the community and camaraderie between different divisions and, and units the way it is. I think it's a great idea. Yeah, and I'm, we're here to help, so reach out. I appreciate that. I mean, you think about that. You have, you have Nassau County, Suffolk County, two of the biggest police departments in the country. Um, and then we're in the shadow, obviously, of, of New York City. So we're just kind of really well positioned to be uh, to be a real voice on this, you know, and I, I do think I mean, even, you know, what we're talking about gun violence now, right? It's uh, it's such a prevalent piece, school safety, you know, what we're doing about that. What are some different ideas? And, and there's just so many there's so many leaders and so many people that have contributed so much to this uh, to this effort in law enforcement. Um, and maybe we can, you know, bring it all together. So uh, I guess. Um... I would be remiss in not addressing um, you being the first female police commissioner in Suffolk County. Um, just uh, as 
to step away just for a second. I, I just want to mention um, that my mom, another great woman in my life, uh, my mom actually passed away uh, this past Memorial Day. And um, just a fantastic sort of transition into speaking to you, um, and, and another great woman, and talk about um, how it feels to be sort of um, someone that opened doors uh, for, I guess, not only uh, people further along in their career, but, you know, little girls that look up and see themselves in the same role that you are and even higher. No, I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, and I, I have to admit, I was very reluctant um, initially to kind of uh, make that the focal point when I when I moved over to Suffolk County. You know, it's very much about kind of the job and um, it's not about that. It's about, you know, getting the job done and keeping people safe, which of course it is. But but it did take me a little while to realize exactly what you just talked about, which is kind of, you know, it is an important uh, role. It's an important um, opportunity and responsibility uh, so that women can see that, or I should say younger, younger um, adults can see somebody in that role and it's not so foreign to them, right? So it's just commonplace. And I, I look forward to the time when there are no more firsts, that it's just kind of common. It just happens to be another another woman in that role. And, uh, but it took some time to get there. And then I did, I, I did realize the importance of it and, um, and started to really kind of embrace it. And uh, I, it, it is very interesting, you know, especially when it comes to women in law enforcement, that number has been kind of stubborn over the years, uh, as far as their, their prevalence in law enforcement has kind of hovered around, um, you know, somewhere between 11 and maybe 15% at the high point. And that's been for decades. That really hasn't changed much. So I'm always kind of thinking about what can we do? Uh, we had a recruiting campaign when I was in Suffolk, which only comes around every four years. So what can we do to increase the numbers of women? Um, and I think for us, it was about showing the police department, not as a kind of traditional sitting in the, in the patrol car and, uh, or walking the beat, but all the other opportunities there are, um, which might be a little more appealing to women. Um, you know, the detective division, uh, community affairs, uh, different, different opportunities that might not be, uh, you know, be, be known by women. So anyway, so we, we did a big push on that and then we did increase the number of women who took the exam. So I'm hoping that changes a little bit the numbers, but uh, but it is certainly challenging, and um, it, you know to to get those numbers where they need to be, and to diversify the department as a whole, it is it is definitely challenging, but it was a priority that we had. Sure, sure. So, do you have any advice for, I guess, young women uh, navigating their way through a law enforcement? private sector, security career, life, family, et cetera. You mentioned all of those things during these episodes. Like, what do you, what advice do you have for people? Yeah, and one of the great, uh, the great things about this job is that I'm able to interact with, um, with students who come in, and there's been a, a lot of students that have come in just to talk about that, that, that topic. Um, you know, I, I want a career in law enforcement. How do I make it happen? How do I balance uh, that if I want a family? Um, so really just to have those conversations, uh, but a lot of it, it really goes back to, uh, you know, the notion that you can do it. You know, you don't talk yourself out of it. Um, there are certainly challenges to it, but, you know, realize that if you work hard uh, and you're, you're focused on your, your goals, that you'll get there eventually. But there will certainly be low, uh, roadblocks in your way, um, no doubt about it. Everybody faces them, uh, but don't think that they are going to be um, 
you know, dispositive of, of what happens with your life. You can, you can overcome them. Um, but you know, what I say is really perseverance is the number one attribute I think to success. So don't give up on it. Uh, you know, keep going and then look for, look to others for support. Um, they're there for you, but sometimes you have to reach out to them and, but they'll, they'll be, uh, you know, some of your biggest advocates and your biggest fans. Um, and that's not gender specific. That could be, for me, I had a lot of, uh, really good, um, you know, male uh, supervisors and things that uh, that helped me along the way. And um, they were great, um, you know, mentors, certainly. And then um, and then great people that spoke on my behalf, because I think women, generally speaking, don't like to to brag or, or speak about their accomplishments. Um, but sometimes you'll have what, what I like to call verifiers out there who will speak uh, about you and for you and on your behalf. So so look for those people, too. Um, and then pay it back. Right. Pay it forward so that. Um, the next group of people uh, you can encourage and you can be there for. Um, I always say that we have, we have the opportunity to, um, to identify these people that could be leaders, uh, whether they're women or whoever's in our life and, and then to encourage them. But I think that's our responsibility. I think that's an, an ongoing responsibility that we have. Great point. I, I, you know, I gotta tell you, I, I think there's so much that you said here. I, I really hope people sort of, listen to this episode and and almost like clinically because there's so much to unpack in everything that you've said and honestly what I appreciate is sort of the candor in, in the things that you're saying because you know you're you're being vulnerable in one sense and saying here's here's some of the things that maybe could have changed but here are some of the really good things now I, I really hope people listen Joe but what are your thoughts uh, no I agree I'm like you know you've had a ground breaking career in certain aspects and uh, you're, you're a natural leader. And uh, I think people will hear that from, from this podcast and going forward, but I like what you put out there and what, how you encourage uh, future, future leaders in the world. Thank you. No, thank you. I think, I think it's, um, it's definitely interesting from the, from a, a female's perspective in law enforcement. I think it's, it's different um, in some respects. Uh, there's certainly commonalities, but there are there are unique challenges for sure. Um, but again, it's always kind of that going back to that theory theme that you can do it, you know, um, and don't talk yourself out of it. And and we don't raise our hands, right? As women, we just don't raise our hands. Uh, so we kind of have to be called upon uh, to leave our comfort zone and try new things. Um, and it's hard, certainly hard, but well worth it. I'll, I'll tell you, there's there's a lot of uh, really amazing women in a lot of amazing roles now, and um, certainly yourself and many people be before you as well have sort of paved the way, and uh, hopefully uh, going forward, there will be even more. Huh? So uh, usually we end the uh, show with um, takeaways. Um, is there anything you'd, li you'd like to leave uh, our listeners with uh, as a takeaway from this episode? Um, yeah, first of all, thank you for doing this because I've uh, I've listened to uh, prior podcasts and they're really you know very uh, topical and uh, and timely and uh, I, I think it's a great service that you do so thank you for that. Um, but as far as takeaways, I think you know again, really just kind of I always go back to perseverance, right? Just keep on it and and keep at it and uh, and you mentioned the transition from from public sector to private is is bumpy. Uh, at times, but just to really kind of stick with it, you know, I think it's easy to 
not easy, but I think it's probably more um, common uh, than people are surprised when they get there and maybe throw up their hands and and, uh, and move on to something else. But I think there are opportunities uh, if you just look for them and then, uh, and again, put yourself out there so that you can find those opportunities and, and follow through on them and, and make them successful. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's a great takeaway. Um, it, and interestingly, the perseverance part, just from a business owner perspective, I, I can tell you a lot of people ask about, you know, what what does it take? Right. And one of the biggest pieces of advice I give is you just have to be around. You have to be around long enough and keep at it. And eventually it, it'll take a life of its own. So I, I think that's great advice. Um, and it's amazing how some of the best advice in the world is some of the most simplest, because, you know, uh, but you don't think about it until you hear it from someone. So, Joe, what, what do you got as a takeaway? Jeez, I, I, the whole show is a takeaway for me. I mean, just the, the, the key points, the, what you're putting back into the world, I think is more important for everybody. Uh, encouraging the younger generation, particularly women who have not been known to have that voice. So it's most appreciated. Oh, thank you. Um, you talk, We talked about perseverance, um, that's so critical. But the other piece that I found was so critical for me was um, communication. So I, I wonder if that's, you know, again, communicating when I came to Suffolk because they, we kind of, like I said, had to get used to each other. But um, what I found really useful was uh, really just getting out there and uh, and talking to people face to face, getting over to the the different precincts, um, meeting with folks, uh, and just really kind of, you know, having those conversations, introducing myself. And then it kind of went to a point where when we when COVID hit and I wasn't able to get out there anymore in person, um, I started to do this Friday afternoon uh, email to the entire department. So I would send it, if communicating in the police department was difficult because it's not like the FBI where everybody has a desktop um, or a, a phone and they can access their emails. It's not like that. So you have to really find a way to talk to everybody. So on Friday afternoon, I would sit and I would write a, uh, an email just about whatever topic was, um, was happening at the time, mostly COVID in the beginning and then moving over to the social unrest. And then I would put it out on the MDCs, which are the the patrol car, uh, you know, computers, if you will, where they can pull it up too. So just trying to reach everybody. And, uh, and I think that they were really appreciated because it was just, you know, just making that effort, um, to really connect with, uh, with the rank and file. I think sometimes that gets lost, uh, you know, when you're at a high level and, uh, and doing, you know, addressing emergencies all day long, you forget that there are, that there are people looking to you and that if you can talk to them directly uh, about what's going on and allay their fears, um, certainly with COVID when the numbers were really spiking and we were going through uh, a lot in law enforcement to try to get our hands around it, uh, it went a long way. And um, and really just kind of to sign off, uh, Jerry, at the end, which to me was no big deal, but they really were very appreciative of that, that, you know, I was just, just a regular person just trying to talk to them and not, you know, Commissioner Hart and this and that. It was just you know, one person to another. So that really went a long way. And then that brought us into the social unrest piece and just really thanking them for all the work that they're doing during this, the 300 protests that we had and, and, and then the reform process and getting them on board and getting their buy-in and, and letting them know what was going on. And I think it breaks down some of the fears that people have of, you know, not knowing. Um, and then the rumors kind of take over. So I just wanted to put that out there. It's really kind of a practical piece of advice that, uh, that really went very far for me. 
yeah, I, I, I think there's no question. I think that's, that's brilliant advice. And it's something that, again, you could use, and it doesn't matter what position you're in. I mean, every exactly. single level, I mean, that's such an important component to it. So that's fantastic advice. Um, so, you know, that's it for today. One, one thing I'm going to leave our audience with is that, you know, we do these, we record these podcasts virtually, right? So Jerry's in I'm in one place, Joe's in another place. Sometimes we have technical uh, difficulties, but the show must go on, and, and it does. So some of the sound on this episode may not have been fantastic, but the content is. And so thank you, Jerry, for joining us. Uh, Joe, thank you for co-hosting with me. Until next time, thank you both very much. Terrific. Thank Thanks, everybody. I appreciate it. Don't forget to follow us. We are on LinkedIn and Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube.